Welcome back to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Jason Rugg, filling in for Josh Lindsay, as usual. And with our with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, Jason. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. And, uh, and we're also joined by, Christian, do you want to introduce? Yes, Flavie Poisson. We are reunited after... A year and a half. A year and a half. It's really hard to believe. Uh, so the last time we were with Flavi, she was in my house. Yeah, March 2020. Yes, 22nd March. of March, last time. You you have that burned into your memory. Yeah, sounds like. <laughs> so we had Flavi and uh, her boyfriend Thomas on the podcast of, about that time, I think. Uh, right around when COVID had happened. Uh, if you haven't listened to those episodes from, you know, March 2020, I suggest you go back. It was a very funny conversation because Flavi and Toma had had quite the adventure. Uh, why don't you give us a short recap on that? Yes, we were in Canada. It was so, so cold and we were stuck in like a cabin, something like that, a hood uh, a wood small house and so we were freezing and we called uh, Christian to know if we could come back to a house. <laughs> yes and what was interesting is they kept telling me they were going woofing in Canada and because of their French accent I thought they were saying roofing and they were going to be doing <laughs> roofing in Canada in Jan in March you know whatever and it was snowy and and I have since learned they were not doing roofing they were doing a woofing which is uh, roofing is like when you work in farms and uh, um, you are you have lodging and you have food um, while you are working for this farm yes. yes that's what woofing is that's a new term that I have learned <laughs> uh, so and then she came to our house and we were doing all sorts of things they were helping me the most important thing she and Toma were doing they were helping me with um the rights work getting all the paperwork signed from people in the film um, making sure that we had all the rights for the footage that we were using the archival footage they were working with people in france to get the things that we needed uh, they also toured with me uh, in film festivals and so it was fantastic because they would dress up as you know uh, civilians from the 40s they would go with us to film festivals and meet people it was really wonderful and then the last film festival we were at, it was March 13, 2020, which was a very big date. Uh, as soon as the show was over, we learned that the entire world had shut down for COVID. <laughs> and it, it then ensued a really stressful time of trying to figure out if they were going to stay in my house till COVID was over, which I would have loved that. But me too. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, now we know it's a year and a half later. And so um, so we were separated mm -hmm. sort of abruptly. And that was very hard for me and my project, you know, the progress that we needed. But how did it make you feel? Yeah, that was very hard for us, too, because we had to so to go back to France, but we didn't have any place to live because uh, we let our flat before leaving to go to Canada and to the U.S., so we had to fly to find another place and we had to be in lockdown during 15 days. And then there was a two month lockdown and uh, to go to buy some bread or to go to the grocery, 
we had to have a paper uh, to write our name, uh, the hour we were leaving, and we couldn't go more than an hour away from our house. So it lasted uh, two months like this. So that reminded me when you said to me, it was like we had to have a paper in order to go somewhere. I was like, that rings a bell. Yeah. What did that feel yeah. like? Did it feel like you were under occupation? Yeah, we we feel, I mean, not the same way, but we felt closest to the people who used to live under the German occupation uh, during uh, World War II. Yeah. Yeah. I've wow. said many times the, the Americans have never been occupied. We don't really know what it means to lose our freedom, to go here or to do that. But now that the pandemic has happened and we were all on lockdown, even for us in the United States, that's the closest we've ever been being told what we can and cannot do. It was interesting. So, you know, we have been talking as always virtually over social media and emails and text messages, messenger. Um, but it was very hard because we were not together. We missed each other. And as you know, uh, the reason I'm sitting here with Flavi now is we have a very interesting story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very happy to be reunited, but it's in a very strange circumstance. So Jason, let me ask you, what do you know about what the last few weeks or months have been like for me? What do you remember? Do you even know where I am? All right. So I had to ask before we started recording. I was like, I think she's in France right now. I couldn't tell if you were in the Netherlands or France. Um, so what I know is that you've been going over there to uh, do some pre-work on the film and also meet up with your son, potentially. Um, and there were the there was the Market Garden event that you were going to be going to. And that's that's pretty much the brief summary of like you were going to be doing pre-work for the film in the Netherlands, etc. So yeah. that's all I really know. That's true. To recap, I was kind of in Mississippi, you know, for two months helping my dad. And I really didn't think that it was going to be possible to do any research for the Brave Dutch uh, until the very last minute when I found out that I could come to the Netherlands, but it would be best to go through France. So I thought, oh, that's wonderful. I will fly to France and see my friends. We will do things um, you know, that have to do with the girl who wore freedom, uh, which is great because we are screening, as many people know, on June 5th, 2022 in Normandy. And so I've been able to do a little bit of advanced work preparing for that. I got to see my friends uh, and I got to do things that we I've never been able to do. So because of this project and because I'm always on a tight timeline when I'm in France, I've really only been to Omaha Beach, Utah Beach, uh, Pointe du Hoc, the cemetery, Carenton, and the cemetery, right? Yeah. Wow. The Angleville en Plan. That's about it. So mm -hmm. this time I didn't have the Girl Who Were Freedom work to do. So we decided we would do some, you know, new tourist yeah. things to do together. So uh, we also connected with Michelle Coupe, who's actually sitting in our hotel room right now, waving <laughs> to everyone. Um, Michelle Coupe was my co-producer on uh, The Girl Who Wore Freedom. She's going to be a co-producer on The Brave Dutch. So she is hosting me, put me up there, and she's coming on this adventure with me. So to start out, 
we decided with Toma and Flavi, since they are tour guides, to see something new. So why don't you tell about where you took us? Yeah, we've been to the Pegasus Bridge. So where the British paratroopers and British gliders uh, were dropped on D-Day. And we were as well to a very new monument um, that has been uh, inaugurated in uh, June 2019. Uh, It's like a huge monument to commemorate as well the British troops who landed uh, on Gold Beach and on Sword Beach. So this monument is on Gold Beach and is super huge and is wonderful. And you have a, um, a great view on uh, Gold Beach. So yes, that's very impressive. That was very impressive. And that was the first time you went there. Second time for me, but I just discovered it like a month ago. So that's very new. Yes. So it was very interesting because I have a friend from high school. Her name is Anne Lidecker. And uh, she <laughs> has a friend named Liam O'Connor that lives in, in London. She calls me one day and says, oh, Christian, you're not going to believe this, but my friend Liam is the architect for the Normandy British Memorial that's opening in 2019. And they invited me and Michelle Coupe to come to this opening in 2019. And then it was closed and nobody really could come. And so we didn't get to see it, Uh, but it is spectacular. Mm. Tell why you think it's so amazing. Yeah, it's amazing because everything is well uh, thought. Uh, When you arrive, you have like two doors, and you see the um, you see the the sea behind the Tudors, and when you move, you start to see the monument and the British soldiers. Uh, there are a lot of columns all around the monuments, and on each column, you have the names of all the British soldiers who died. And when you fly over the monuments, um, it it designed the the flag uh, the British flag. So everything is well thought and that's wonderful. Yes. And at the beginning, awesome. when you walk, do you remember those columns? You, you walk through yeah. columns and the columns tell you the history of the British and what they did uh, sort of in this, um, you know, big battle. They were one of the major allies, obviously. Um, Winston Churchill put on a lot of pressure on our president FDR to get involved. So uh, thanks to the British, we we were there. and. You know, we don't know, the Americans don't know a lot about the British involvement and what they did. Um, Many people will know in Normandy, you have the American sector, which we talk almost exclusively about in the Girl War Freedom. And that's Utah Beach and Omaha Beach and Point de Hawk. Mm -hmm. And then you have the British sector, which is Gold Beach and Juno Beach, and then Sword, which is the Canadian sector of that. So this took place on Gold Beach. This memorial overlooks Gold Beach. And on those columns, you learn about what the British did and how they, um, you know, sacrificed for the cause of freedom. And it is very peaceful. It's well integrated and thought out with so many different things. For example, uh, I noticed this beautiful oak and, um, I noticed it was on these benches. I noticed it it was on the top of the pergolas. And I w- we were able to call mm-hmm. Liam mm-hmm. after we visited and tell Liam how remarkable his m- memorial was. And I asked him, what is the meaning of the wood? And do you remember what he said? Uh, yeah, it was a wood taken from trees. 
from the Napoleon mm -hmm. era. Yeah, I think it was Michelle. Like wasn't it called a uh, French oak or something like that? Yeah, they were. Um, it was a French oak from the um, that was from the Loire Valley. Yes. So it was this hard yeah, French oak really from the Loire Valley, and the name of it, you know, it was this hard, everlasting oak. And so he talked about how this oak represented the strength um, of France and of Britain. And anyway, it was just, it was brilliant. And I highly recommend a visit um, to see that. That that led me to be more curious about this British sector, which led us to the Pegasus Bridge. Mm -hmm, yeah, then we went to the Pegasus Bridge. Uh, and just next to it, there was the museum. So we had the chance to visit the museum very quickly, but we uh, we saw a replica of an Orsa. Uh, the Orsa is the oh, British glider. Let me yeah. say this for her <laughs> because it doesn't make sense. So we saw the replica of a Horsa in American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's H-O-R-S-A. It's Horsa. I didn't understand what she was saying. Yeah. So, and interestingly enough, the Pegasus Bridge that we see today is not the original bridge. Um, the original one they took down and they put it in this museum. Yes. So if you want to see the Pegasus Bridge, you go and see the location, which is now a new bridge, but it looks the same it's design. The same, it's just bigger uh, because uh, no trucks are bigger than, than in the 1940s and uh, yeah. Yeah. And when you are there, there is a little restaurant. Do you remember the name? Uh, cafe, cafe, cafe. You can uh, think about that for yeah. a minute, what the name <laughs> is, but it is a cafe and it's a very typical French cafe that was there in 1945. And it wow. was part of this battle. And the daughter that lived in it is still there today. And she is still running uh, the cafe. Oh, cafe Gondré. Cafe Gondré. There yeah, we go. Thank you, Michelle. Cafe Gondré. <laughs> uh -huh. Gondré. So I would really strongly recommend you going to visit that. There's lots of memorabilia inside this cafe. Uh, and what? Why don't you explain the horser glider? Horsa glider. Horsa. Yeah. Yeah. So horsa gliders are um, British-made gliders. So they are made in wood, and they are bigger than the American-made gliders. The American-made gliders are named the Waco, like the city, the city in uh, Texas. in Texas. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, and the gliders, if people don't know, uh, I would have never wanted to be in one. Uh, they Me were, either. it was like this wood <laughs> cage with canvas over it and they had no power. So they were pulled behind a C-47, yeah, right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. And they were pulled behind by a rope and then they just cut the rope and let it go. Mm -hmm. And they had to just glide down to a field. They were, they were designed to break apart, mm -hmm. right? Flavi? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and then they wow. would be able to get out their trucks and their mm -hmm. they could put a jeep they could put a cannon uh in the whole side they could put 30 men because it's a big one but in in the waco gliders they could put 13 men so less less men, men. Wow. and so at this um you know at the pegasus bridge you learn more about these and you can see you can uh, see a lot yeah. of things mm -hmm. um the other thing i learned was they have a big um 
exhibit on the Bailey bridges. So Bailey bridges are very famous here in this, you know, World War II zone. Uh, they were designed by a British architect whose last name was Bailey. Uh, and they were just the, as they say in A Bridge Too Far, the envy of the Western world, you know, back then in 1944. Mm. Tell us how the Bailey Bridge worked. Yeah, the Bailey Bridge is... Um... Uh, the American and the British came with it to uh, build a bridge with just like pieces of bridge and uh, it's uh, um, a metal bridge when you see it and everything is just built uh, once they are over there in Normandy. Uh, it's kind of like Legos. You know what Legos is? <laughs> it's kind of like Legos yeah. where you can put it yeah, together. That's, it. that's a Lego bridge. It's a Lego bridge, yes. <laughs> so it was it was brilliant. So I learned more about that. Um, and so that was that was wonderful. And then we uh, said goodbye to Flavi and Toma. And we learned that we were going to reconnect in the Netherlands. So Michelle Coupe and I designed uh, decided to go to the Market Garden commemorations um, because we wanted to learn about the Dutch experience. And part of that was, you know, what happened in Market Garden on September 17th, 1944. And so we figured if we were going to go to um, the Holland section to learn to Appledorn to learn about John Lau's story and the brave Dutch that kept him alive, it made sense to go to the Market Garden commemorations at the same time. Um, I almost, uh, titled this episode special ops and what was it spin-offs spin-offs thank you michelle special ops and spin-offs because my son jonah at the last minute ended up being scheduled to be here as well so he is part of this special operation called falcon leap uh it's been fascinating to learn about he and uh, the soldiers from uh, Brit from Britain, France, Poland, Italy, and the Netherlands all came together to practice jumping and doing uh, personal uh, like deliveries of items, weapons, food, uh, clothing, things like that. And they also did um, mail, you know, not, not mail, uh, personnel droppings is what they call them, personnel droppings. So this whole uh, Falcon Leap operation was a practice exercise for many people. They got their jumps, but also they all want to earn wings from other countries. And we learned that there are four criteria for earning wings from another country, and you have to meet at least two of them. One is that you use another country's parachute, that you use another country's, or you jump out of another country's plane, um, and the two others, Michelle, my co-producer, what are the two others? Um, they jump out of the plane. They jump out of the parachute. Uh, uh, they, oh they have a pilot uh, of the other country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's one more, which you'll, you'll think of it in a minute, I'm sure. But anyway, then when you do that, you get the wings of the other country. They also spend time exchanging patches. And the whole point of this really is international relations. They learn how the other planes work. They learn how to communicate with each other. They learn how to solve problems when things go wrong, because inevitably they do. Uh, they teach each other, you know, medical tricks or just different things that they have, and they do training together. So 
Donald was part of that operation. Um, he is a part of the fifth um, theater aerial, fifth quartermaster theater aerial delivery company at the 16th Sustainment Brigade. And um, I wasn't sure I was going to get to see him, but we did. That was a wonderful surprise. Um, but he and he was even able to come with us to Market Garden, which was just a wonderful experience. Um, now, you may be asking yourself, Jason, because I'm sure you have so many questions because I've given you so much time to ask them. <laughs> How did Flavi end up here? So, Flavi, yeah. Yeah. why don't you explain when you left our house what you did from the pandemic and how you ended up yes. here today? So when I went back to France, I recovered my, my job that I just left uh, uh, before. I, I used to work as a promotion officer at the Utah Beach Museum. So I continued to work over there. Um, and you know, uh, the beginning of October 2020, there was another lockdown. And then we couldn't uh, welcome visitors anymore in the museum. Um, and so I just uh, found another job since a few months, since four months, I uh, now work at the city hall of Carentan, uh, which is just behind Utah Beach. Yeah, I mean, between the Utah Beach and Omaha Beach in the middle. Uh, and I work as promoting the city hall and the town hall of Carentan through World War II and through memory tourism. So that's my new job. And we were invited by the mayor of Meyerstadt. Meyerstadt is a, um, is a few uh, cities from uh, Holland. And they invited uh, the town hall of Carentan to be part of the ceremonies of the 77th. Uh, and so that's why I, I ended up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting, if people wonder why they would, out of the blue, um, just, you know, invite you here, Explain the connection between Carentan and Meyerstad. Yeah, because uh, Carentan has been liberated by the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, so a lot of soldiers fought on the roads to take bridges, to take the village and everything. And that's the same for Meyerstadt because uh, uh, the road, national road number seven, so between Eindhoven and Arnhem, has to be taken by the Allies, so by uh, the American paratroopers and uh, the British paratroopers. And so the sector of Meyerstadt has been liberated by the 101st Airborne Division. So we have the same history. That's the reason why we have been invited. Yeah, they've wow. been trying to figure out how to learn from each other. Um, in a sense, some of the soldiers' stories began in Carentan and then ended in Meyerstad. The most um, notable of which I think, you please correct me if I'm wrong, is Robert Cole. And Robert Cole was a um, colonel. Mm -hmm. He was a colonel in the 101st Airborne, and he was instrumental in uh, the bayonet charge at the very beginning of the Battle of Carentan. And he, you know, he kind of opened things up, and it was a very brave action that he did. And sadly, he was killed in this area, yeah. right? Yes, right. He, he was killed in Holland during the battle. Yeah. yeah. So that's a big connection because that's a huge character. Uh, I mean, an important soldier who fought in Carantan. And what's interesting is they thought maybe the two cities would be able to learn from one another how mm. they do this memory tourism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
Is that true? Did you yeah. learn? Yeah, that's really interesting to see how they are doing because it's the first time we've been invited to a, a ceremony like this outside of Normandy. So we are used to our protocol and everything. And that's funny to see how they are doing here in Holland. It, it's very different. I would say the most surprising thing to me is I thought I expected things to be like they were in Normandy yes. here. Mm. They have not been anything like they are in Normandy, <laughs> nothing. And there are many reasons why, as I think about it. Um, Normandy is very unique in that it is a battlefield spread over many cities and towns, but the cities and towns are very small. And you know, for sure, the American sector, everything is within 15, 20 minutes. But even if you drive from the Pegasus Bridge, you know, where you've got, you know, gold Juno right around there to the westernmost part of Utah Beach, it's like an hour, right, Michelle? Hour, hour and a half? Yes. Yeah. So it's not that far apart. And you can easily get between the ceremonies. Uh, but D-Day happened in a very short period, you know, space. Well, Market Garden and the operations here did not, it wasn't close together. Mm. It was all the way from, you know, Eindor, all along the road, all along the road, seven, all yeah. the way up to um, Arnhem. Mm. And there were some successes early on in the bottom of, of the Netherlands, but they got harder. As you know, Arnhem was a bridge too far. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen that movie, I recommend everyone see that movie. You've seen it yesterday? I did. Right. Well, I, I, I saw it many times, but Michelle saw it for the first time. Um, but the thing I think that's so different here, you know, there were different outcomes as well. So not only are the battlefields spread out and not sort of in the same place, um, there was a different outcome. So in Normandy, you're celebrating a huge victory on the part of the allies. So when you go to Normandy, there are giants celebrations. Mm. It's like a big party and you have these small commemorations surely at the cemeteries and um, just in places. There is a lot of reverence, but there's also a lot of celebration. Mm. And so what did you find here? The differences? <clears throat> yeah, we didn't see any reenactors uh energy there wasn't the um, the the events like uh balls concerts and everything but maybe that's because of covid because i've heard that usually it's crowded so yes i do fair. think we are here in a very bad off time um and i think that if it was not for covid there were there would be more things I think so. um one example is michelle and i were fortunate enough to go to the market garden parachute drop now it is the netherlands version of la fiere in um in normandy and typically there i was told there would be thirty thousand people there Oh, wow. Well, there were thousands of people there when Michelle and I went, but it wasn't 30,000, mm -hmm. not at all. <laughs> and so it, it, we never saw really anything advertised for anything. It was very difficult to find any information. Um, and so, you know, I think I think it was COVID was affecting things a lot. Uh, the other thing I would say, however, is I've learned that the Dutch are a very quiet, humble people. Mm hmm. Yeah, they they are not as expressive or braggadocious 
maybe as for sure Americans. And I don't know that they want to crow about everything here that they do or that they have. And so they seem to be more quiet, more reserved. And so I noticed there, there was a difference in, in that kind of, of celebration. So it was more difficult for us to find out what to do. And most everything was not in English. Mm. It was in yes. Dutch. And that was very challenging. Mm. Ironically, the people here all speak English. They all speak English. Mm. But um, in Normandy, everything is always written in French. And English. And English. Everything's always translated in French and English. So I would say it would have helped Michelle and I. I mean, our first trouble was that we assumed wrongly that it was going to be just like Normandy and it wasn't. <laughs> uh, two, we did not have any sort of guide or anyone who had ever been here before to tell us you know, what to do. So we were uh, trying to figure it out on our own. And three, we did not understand that um, everything was going to be written in Dutch. So that was a little challenging to figure out. <laughs> uh, so I would say if you're going to plan to go to the market garden ceremonies, and I do highly recommend it, try to find out from someone else who has been there the certain things to do or go and see. Now, we went to a ceremony um, at the windmill in Erde, which um, was a beautiful ceremony mm -hmm. at a very old windmill that they've had to build back up after you know, what, what did you learn? What did you think? Uh, it was wonderful because uh, I don't know, there was an orchestra playing music. Oh, wow. It was uh, less formal than what we used to have as a ceremony in Normandy. It was more like a, a big family all together. And they were uh, asking the children to say some sentences at the microphone and and yeah, the lights behind, we were at the, during the evening. So the light, the sun set was wonderful. And yes, that was a great, great ceremony. Very powerful and very emotional. Yeah, I, th I thought the same. Mm -hmm. I thought the same. And Michelle and I were talking about the music was so beautiful. It was very evocative and mm -hmm. um, you know, brought up a lot of emotions. And they played the music while they were laying the reeds. So the order of the ceremonies are similar between Normandy and Market Garden, but there are differences. And the music was really mm -hmm. notable, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, while they were doing that. Mm -hmm. And the children, they had them take a big part, I thought, in, yes. that, in that ceremony. Mm -hmm. They wrote speeches and one would read in Dutch and the other would read in English. And they seemed very proud, didn't yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah, they were so proud. Yeah, the children seemed very proud. So that was beautiful. And then today it was, we were also at a remarkable ceremony. Both of these ceremonies we were invited mm. to had a 101st airborne uh, representation uh, from the United States. But typically mm. when they would send over hundreds only for one ceremony and there are thousands and thousands of GIs everywhere but here only four yeah today there were only for, four for this COVID year and it was COVID, COVID. It, but at least they were here the United yes. States yeah. government yeah. at least yeah. sent them so the second ceremony we had was today and can you tell a little bit about that yeah it was uh, in Sint Ordenrode I don't have the right accent because I speak French but not Dutch and it was at the monument to the Dutch. So this, this is a monument made by the American uh, to, to give to the Dutch uh, people. 
And so that was a bit different than the commemoration in Erde. Uh, there were music as well, there were orchestra. Um, but yeah, it, it was different, but it was great as well. Yeah, so this one uh, in this town, what was unique is that the 101st veterans, the veterans gave the people of this town a monument oh, that wow. thanked them for their help on this road to liberty. I thought that was very powerful. It's the first time I've ever seen mm -hmm. a veteran organization do that for a community. Yeah. Uh, so that was unique. It was beautiful. Um, watch our social media if you're listening to this, because we will put up pictures or some little videos. Mm. Also, Carenton will be um, putting up pictures and videos of what the Carenton people did. Yeah. So why don't you explain what your officials, your mayor and assistant mayor, their names and explain what they did in these ceremonies? Uh, yes, yeah, so we, I mean, the delegation of Carenton arrived like maybe three days ago. So they were the mayor of Carenton, Jean-Pierre Lenner, and the deputy mayor, uh, Sébastien Lenné, with their wives and with the communication promotion team. Um, and so we had a very um, warming welcome by uh, the Meyerstadt uh, mayor. Uh, we had a battlefield tour to see um, the historic places about Meyerstadt, where the 101st Airborne Division soldiers fought. Uh, we assisted uh, three commemorations, the one at the windmill, uh, the one this afternoon in uh, St. Ordenrode and at the British Graves uh, Cemetery. Um, yeah, we had a rooftop uh, restaurant yesterday that was beautiful. <laughs> was it the Silly Fox? <laughs> yes. Yes. So they went to the one star Michelin restaurant called the Silly Fox, oh, uh, wow. but I heard it was delicious. We had like <laughs> plates. It never stopped. <laughs> I heard it was very long. It was long, yeah, from 8 p.m. to midnight. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. They eat like French people, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so it was neat to see the, you know, mayors of these towns um, invite the people of Carenton to lay wreaths and they introduce them and explain yeah. the connection. So that was very special. Um, what I really enjoyed about today's ceremony was the second half. Mm -hmm. um, they took us to this cemetery behind the airborne, you know, monument that the 101st veterans gave. It was one of the most beautiful cemeteries I've seen. Um, it was a combination of a cemetery and a um, garden, like a, like a beautiful memory garden where uh, you, know, you would walk through and you would see the graves, but you wanted to stay because there was beautiful art there. Did you see the big Boulder. Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. I've so one it. of the most striking things, there was uh, the hill of Golgotha. And so there was this big rock hill. And on the top, you had the crucifixion of Christ with Mary and John at the feet of the cross. And underneath you had um, sort of in the cave, Christ um, with his, you know, crown of thorns. And you had um, some other things carved into the stone. Uh, that were just very, very powerful. Uh, wow. And then there were some gardens that you could walk through. And 
Each grave was very different than we do in the United States. They have a slab up at the top. And I've seen these in France as well, um, where the people who have died, usually there is a picture of them or some sort of lithograph in a glass stone. And they have some of the things that they liked in life, whether they're a dog sitting mm -hmm. on top of the grave table oh. or like uh, plants that they love. Someone had a bike, someone had a trumpet on theirs. Um, and it felt so personal, like you kind of wanted to learn more about these people who had died and were buried there. So I thought it was, I mean, mm -hmm. did you agree? What did you think? Yeah, that's, that's, that's totally true. Yeah, but I'm used to it because yeah, we have the same in France, but uh, yeah, you, you want to know what these people uh, have lived and thanks to the little object put on, put on the graves and you have their picture as well. Mm -hmm. their yeah. Picture. So there was a lot to learn. I think some, a lot of positive things and things that were mm -hmm. different. And uh, I just think that, it, you know, if you're going to come to these ceremonies, you need to expect them not to be like Normandy. <laughs> do your yeah. research because every town is different. Eindhoven's battle was different than Nijmegen's was different than Arnhem's. And so the celebrations are different, different in each place. And there's not one unified, um, you know, ceremony for all of those things. So, um, so that was very interesting. Um, the reason that I wanted to call this special ops and spinoffs is because in a sense, a different film born out of what I learned the first time, uh, brought us all together. I am here for the brave Dutch, but yet on my brave Dutch team, I am working with Flavi, who's going to be involved in the reenactments and wardrobes and things like that. Michelle Coupe, who was the co-producer before and lives in, you know, this Europe area. Uh, Thomas Boisson, who was here before, he will be helping us with reenactments. Flo Plana will be a director in the reenactments. So uh, we are still collaborating now just on a different subject. So now for the rest yeah. of the time that I'll be here, our attention is going to be turned to working on the Brave Dutch. Wow. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so how long have you been there? What, how is this a week? Is this two weeks? What, how long have you been there? Good question. So I got to the country on September 10th and okay. it's today it's September 19th. So nine days. So nine days. And how long do you have left? So I'm supposed to come back by October 10th. So four okay. more weeks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a while and now you're going to be working on the film. Okay. Yeah. Interestingly enough, there is, we've talked about this before. Once you make one film and you meet people and you're in the business, oftentimes it leads to something else. So the girl who wore freedom led us to Virgil films, which gave us the opportunity for the brave Dutch, right? But now, since we all came together with the town of Carenton, uh, we would take lunch together mm -hmm. and we were talking about different ideas about um, the city of Carenton. One of the things that's interesting about this town is that not a lot of people know about it. People know about St. Mary Glees because of the longest day. Um, they may know about, you know, Utah Beach. So that's in the town of St. Marie du Mont, but it's Utah Beach. But nobody knows about Carenton. I mean, what do you know? I mostly know about it because of 
you working on the film and and talking about it and but other than that i don't think i'd ever heard of karen tom before Hmm. (laughs) you'd started production i don't i think that's the first time i heard about it so we started talking with uh denny vandenbrink was also here he's a 101st airborne expert um that's not his main job that's his hobby but it's become he's written books about it it really is uh, a passion for him. So he was here for this commemoration. He works for the town of Caranthon as well. And I started thinking they really want people to understand about what Caranthon is, why it's important, why tourists should want to go. And Denise said to me, it is the key. It is the key to unlocking the road to liberty. That title actually came from Michelle Coupe because we were sitting at breakfast. He talked about it being a key. Michelle said, yes, that unlocks this road to liberty. And in a sense, it's true, mm-hmm. right? Totally. Yeah, can you explain why? Um, because Carenton is in the middle between Utah Beach and Omaha Beach. Uh, so the soldiers who landed in Utah Beach had the mission to cut what we call the Cotentin Peninsula, so the north of La Manche. Uh, to stuck the, Ameri- the German soldiers in the north to go uh, quickly in Charbourg, to take the harbor of Charbourg, and then to go in the south, take 40 ans, because it will allow them uh, to join back all the soldiers landed in Omaha Beach. That's the reason why. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's the central, central hub. We call it a hub, where from this hub, these roads all came off of it and, you know, both the Germans and the Americans knew that Carenton was an important city to control because it controlled the roads and it controlled the canals mm-hmm. and they all passed through Carenton. So some of the biggest battles yeah. early on were in Purple Heart Lane, where there was a huge bloody battle. Uh, and then, um, you know, the Battle of mm-hmm. Carenton itself, when it began and people came, mm-hmm. tried to, Robert Cole led people in the bayonet charge to get in. So, uh, but, but nobody knows about that. And so I said, well, I think it would be really interesting. Americans watch TV. They've learned about Normandy through the movies, Band of Brothers. And it is episode three of Band of Brothers, by the way. If you want to learn more about Carenton, you can rent that. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now and learn more about Carenton. But um, it, it really is uh, something that, if we were to sit down and tell the story of everything that happened and Denis Vandenberg said he would see it as a six part effort to win the town of Carenton. There were six different things that happened that allowed the allies to take the town back and, you know, for it to turn the tide of the war. Um, And so he said, we could easily make a film where we tell six episodes of each one of these stories and then perhaps pitch it again, like we're doing with the Brave Dutch to you know, find funding to make this film. So I find it so fascinating that you know, once we started doing one film, it kind of leads into others mm-hmm. and different collaborations. So it's been very rewarding to be here this week to talk about how uh, and the girl who wore freedom uh, has been proof of concept for what we're talking about. Because when people see my film, the first thing they say to me is, I want to go to Normandy. 
I want to see these things and these places. And remember when we were in Greenville, what Mm -hmm. would people say to you? Yeah, yeah. They they, they told us that they wanted to come and visit everything. And yeah, we were here as a, um, I'm interested in a civilian, 1940s civilian clothes. And they found it wonderful and they wanted so deep to see all these uh, historic places. Yeah. So I really do think film and story moves the heart of people, uh, particularly Americans, where once you learn about one person, you know, one of the things I would love to tell the story of is Robert Cole and the bayonet charge. Um, He was an amazing man that ended up dying here, of course. but nobody knows mm. of that. Yeah. And yeah. so I, you know, I'd love to tell that story. And I think we would be really pulled in and engaged and then want to go see where the bayonet chart mm. was. Yeah. That would be the next project. Yes. So we're all this, together. This will be our next project <laughs> together is what we're hoping. Uh, we'll see. Um, but you know, yeah, it's been a really interesting time. I did not expect this to come out of mm. our collaboration from this time, but you know, when you're brainstorming with other creators and, you know, collaboratives, ideas happen. So you never know. Wow. Well, that's mm-hmm. incredible. I, I'm excited. Like, this is making me really excited to see what the next thing is, what your next, what all this is going to come together to make. I'm yeah, so excited. I, <laughs> I told Michelle Coupe, wouldn't it be strange if, you know, the Brave Dutch never got greenlit but we try to do another pitch for, we've already titled it. It would be Carenton, Unlocking the Road to Liberty, something like that. Thank mm-hmm. you, Michelle Coupe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would, and, and we got it greenlit for that. That would be so ironic. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We may not have a greenlit project for anything at all. Or both. Yeah. Or maybe we do both. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know how all that would work. But I, I do know, um, even if nothing came from that conversation, another thing happened. We thought about how can we educate people other than the film about Carenton and what a strategic, important place it was. And we ended up having an impromptu meeting today with the mayor and the deputy mayor mm-hmm. and the communications department and Denis Vandenbrink and Michelle and I. You know, Michelle and I are Americans and can say what Americans would like to see and how they could be drawn into the town of Carenton. And they were very interested in that. So, yes, yeah, the mayor was very interesting and we have to plan a, a lot of meetings in the next months to continue to work on it. <laughs> yes, yes, because we really would like people to discover this jewel. I told the mayor, uh, Carenton is in my heart because it is a wonderful place to visit. It's the one place in Normandy, I feel, that's a city big enough where uh, you can stay, you can walk around it. It has a port that's beautiful. It has wonderful little restaurants and places to eat. They're interesting things to see. One of the most heartbreaking stories was there is a silver star ceremony that, well, you tell it, you're the tour guide mm-hmm. on the Place de Republique. So yeah. tell the story. Yeah, there was several uh, ceremony on the Place de la, Place de la République, uh, but the uh, main, uh, um, I mean, main ones were when the colonels uh, received the, the silver star. 
um, and just um, just a few sentences about a, a monument that will be built on the Place de la République uh, with the four colonels uh, and this little girl that has been killed during the civil star uh, celebration. Ceremony. Yeah, there was there was a German left somewhere, right? Yeah, there were Germans uh, left in Carentan and they uh, bombed. Um, the, the Place de la République and pieces of shrapnel um, wounded civilians and a, a little girl um, was killed. Uh, her name was Danielle Lenny. Uh, and we still, I mean, we saw her on uh, pictures and on videos about that ceremony. And that's very moving because we see that she's coming to, to see the soldiers. And uh, just a few minutes after she was killed by a piece of shrapnel uh, during the Silver Star ceremony on the Place de la République. So this is not um, well known and we want really the Place de la République in Carentan be a, a main part of the historic places when people go to see Utah Beach, St. Mary's. We want people to visit the Place de la République as well. So for now it is a parking. So firstly, also it's a parking to, lot. We have to move all the cars and to do like a nice place with some balls and everything, music, festivals, and uh, yeah. So that's a, that's a big project to change the Place de la République because a lot happened during World War II on this place. Yeah, some people just don't know. So they are trying to construct, um, to raise money, to build this monument, the statue that will uh, commemorate the four colonels receiving their silver star. Uh, and also, um, you know, remember this little girl, she was, she was bringing flowers to these colonels when she was killed. Hmm. So it's just oh, wow. such a, a wonderful and sad story that we don't ever want to forget, obviously. So you know, Michelle and I are also figuring out how can we help? What can we do to uh, help promote and bring, you know, more Americans to come and hear this story? So we'll see. It was a very interesting mm -hmm. collaborative yes, it was. Week, weekend. So, yeah. Oh, wow. This, well, there you go, Jason. This has been a jam-packed podcast. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little overwhelmed. There's just so much information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of history too, you know? Yeah. I mean, what would be your takeaway if I give you a few minutes to think about, um, you know, as a film, you're a, you're a filmmaker in a sense, you know, you're making creative content. Uh, what would be the lesson you could learn from listening to these stories? Yeah, I think I think it's just what you hit on earlier, where it was like putting creative people together, you will come up with different things. And um, I know that I've seen that be true in my life. And I think that that's that's one thing that I've seen other creative people struggle with is like they get too locked into I'm doing this thing and we're talking about this thing right now. And it's not let's also talk about the other things we could do, the other projects we could be working on together, particularly. Um, I think that that's a major takeaway is just to never shut down ideas to let them grow and see where they go and, and talk with people about them because it will always get better with more creative input. Yeah, totally true. And I also think you have to keep your hands open. We want to, I think, hold on to our ideas so tightly and that yeah, this yeah. is the direction I'm going in. It has to be this or nothing else. And you know, you just never know what will develop. So I think we have to be open to whatever side roads may come up, listening to others in the creative collaboration, 
it's lovely if you can listen to them from other countries. I've loved <laughs> learning, you know, so much. I learned here in Holland that they have a drive-in strawberry, a drive-in strawberry store where <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, but right where we're we're in Uden. Um, and uh right in Uden, there is they have a lot of just as anywhere else in Europe, a lot of like circles. What do they call those roundabouts? So they have this roundabout right near us and they have these three giant strawberries. And like, we looked at it for a couple of days going, what are those giant strawberries doing there? Well, they're right next to and pointing you to this strawberry drive-in. And so it's like McDonald's, but for strawberries. And so you can drive in and they have like strawberry milkshakes, strawberry Slurpees. They have Belgian waffles with strawberries and cream on top. They have strawberry jam, like anything you could possibly imagine with strawberries. They have it. Uh, and it was strawberries dipped in chocolate were my favorite. <laughs> Those are phenomenal. I don't even like strawberries. That's what's crazy. Uh, but they were delicious. So. Anyway, what was your favorite memory about being here or something you learned? Mm, my favorite memory was the ceremony at the windmill. It was yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And the road between the church and the windmill, you know, that was a yeah. nice uh, road. But uh, that was my first time in Holland and it's very cute. You should go. It is cute. <laughs> it's so cute. It's like um, a big garden. Everything is well down. Everything is beautiful. Yeah, it's a mess everywhere. And I mean, somewhere, sometimes in France is the mess. Yes. Well, in America, you know, you can see like cars on the people's, you know, front lawns or, you know, things just kind of taken apart kind of this is like typical uh, Netherlands or like, um, I don't know what you would call that people, but Swedish, Danish, Mm -hmm. uh, Dutch, very ordered. And so as mm-hmm. Michelle and I were driving around, we said it looked like a, a, an American hybrid because they do have front yards here. It's kind of like America mm-hmm. in some ways. You could see the Dutch influence in America based on what we saw here. And they still have houses with thatched roofs. Could you believe <laughs> the thatched roofs, like the grass on the top of, yeah. of all the roofs? I couldn't yeah. believe it, yeah. but they are, they're beautiful and they're still being used today. And it's just very, very different. Uh, so I enjoyed learning. We went to Aldi. So I did a post on Instagram. <laughs> mm, I saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, the things you see in Aldi in the Netherlands, it was just so random. You know, the easy spa. Did you see that? And the, you know, yeah, soccer ball. Like an inflatable hot tub, pretty much. Yes, inflatable. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been very educational. So anyway. Bobby, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really, really great. Jason, thank you for showing up on a Sunday after, well, I guess it's Sunday morning for you. Sunday evening for us. Yeah. I had to set an alarm. I slept in yesterday on accident. And I was like, oh no, I can't sleep in to make sure you know, we got to get this in. So yeah, we do. Well, and everybody, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and following along on our journey. I know this isn't your typical, what's the film up to these days, uh, but I did want to capture this. Um, our podcast oftentimes is about capturing the journey and this is where we are today. Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed this podcast as well. Uh, If you do enjoy this podcast and you want to keep supporting us, you can uh, join our Patreon campaign. We would really appreciate more supporters. We've sort of been uh, at the, um, I don't know, I think we're at 10 supporters, maybe 12 right now, but we certainly could use some more. Uh, Jason, how can people find us and find that information? 
Yes, they can go to patreon.com forward slash doc first podcast. And we're actually up to 14 patrons. Oh, that's exciting. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, just to remind people, uh, there are some pretty wonderful perks uh, during those at those giving levels. So check those out. Uh, you can still get the film um, on Apple TV or iTunes. You can sign up for our DVD pre-sale list. You can do that uh, by emailing me at Christian at normandystories.com. And please watch our social media. Tell your friends about the film. Uh, it was really great. We had a lot of, not a lot of American soldiers, a handful of American soldiers that we talked to this time uh, from the 82nd Airborne, from, um, you know, from the 101st. And we all said to them, you know, my film's on the plane. And they're like, oh, we saw that on the plane. Uh, so they were all going to watch it on the way home. So don't forget it's on Delta. And yeah, that's about all there is to remember for today. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.